Chapter 25 <clears throat> Captain Flint gets the black spot The houseboat man, Captain Flint, sometimes known as Uncle Jim, was alone with his green parrot in the cabin of his ship, grimly trying to put things straight after his visitors. First there had been the burglars, and then this morning there had been all the people who wanted to see what damage had been done, besides Sammy and the other policemen, and the sergeant from Rio, who had sent Sammy to the foot of the lake, and the other policemen up to the other end to make inquiries. The burglars had turned everything upside down. Every one of the neat lockers and cupboards had its door swinging open and its contents raked out. The assegais and tomahawks and shark's tooth necklaces and boomerangs and green and scarlet painted gourds that were relics of Captain Flint's travels and had hung in honoured places on the cabin walls had been torn down. It was like trying to tidy up after a whirlwind. Captain Flint trod on a little ebony elephant from Colombo. He picked it up, thinking of glue, but it had lost its tusks, its trunk and two of its legs, and he threw it desperately through the open cabin window. The green parrot, perched on the edge of the cabin table, was trying to bite off the head of a little jade image of Buddha that Captain Flint had bought in Hong Kong. Go ahead, Polly, said Captain Flint. Smash it up. Pretty Polly, said the parrot, and holding the little idol in one claw, twisted at it with its strong, curved beak. Why on earth they couldn't have taken some of these things if they wanted them beats me, said Captain Flint, who from living alone so much was accustomed to talk a good deal to himself and to the parrot. And then they go and take the one thing that could be of no possible use to them, but mattered a great deal to me. Never lock anything up, Polly, and you'll never lose it. Whoever the thief was, he took that box simply because it was heavy and he couldn't open it. If it was that boy, he must be a strong one, but perhaps perhaps he had others to help him. Well, when he does open it, he'll be sorry he didn't take something else. Mixed moss by a rolling stone won't mean much to him, Polly, though it meant a lot of hard work to me. Pretty Polly, said the parrot, as the head of the idol dropped on the floor. Captain Flint bent to pick up the fallen head and a broken emu's egg cracked under his feet. All the king's horses and all the king's men, said Captain Flint, won't put Humpty Dumpty together again and won't make me sit down to write mixed moss a second time. The green parrot gave a loud angry shriek when Captain Flint picked up the little jade head. Oh well, take it then, said Captain Flint. The parrot waddled towards him along the table and, 
gripping the edge of the table with one claw, took the head from him with the other. It's just a summer wasted, said Captain Flint, and all my diary's gone too. Pretty bonny, said the parrot. There's one thing about it, said Captain Flint, picking up an armful of clothes and shoving them into one of the cupboards. Those nieces of mine had nothing to do with it. They do play the game, and they'd never have wrecked my cabin for me. But that boy... I didn't like his lying to me about his firework on my cabin roof. Boys are capable of anything, Polly, even good ones. I was a bad one myself, so they say, but at least I didn't tell lies. At that moment, a small folded piece of paper flew through the cabin window and dropped on the table. The parrot shuffled towards it and picked it up. It seemed to be a better material for beakwork than the remains of the little jade image. Captain Flint looked out. Hello, Nancy, he said. Come to gloat. I won't speak to you, said Nancy. I've tipped you the black spot. Read it. What's the matter? I won't speak to you till you've said you're sorry. Read the black spot and you'll see why. Captain Flint was just in time to save the paper from the parrot. It was already in two pieces. Captain Flint untwisted them and put them together. On one side was a large round smudge made with the charred wood. On the other was a letter. To Captain Flint, Elias, Uncle Jim. John never touched your houseboat. When you told him he was a liar, he wasn't. You were. He had come at risk of his life to warn you that savage natives were planning an attack on your houseboat. The billies had given him a message for you. You wouldn't listen. Instead, you called him a liar. Talk about being ungrateful. Now you've been burgled. I'm glad, very glad. If you want to know who singed your beard, see Philip of Spain, by exploding a mine on your cabin roof, it was the undersigned. You deserved it. This is the black spot. You are deposed from being an uncle or anything decent. Nancy Blackett, Amazon pirate. Hey, Nancy, shouted Captain Flint out of the cabin window. But Captain Nancy, anxious to show the swallows that she was holding no parley with the enemy, was already opening, rowing out of the bay. By Jove, said Captain Flint, so it was those young harem scarums all the time. And what a brute. That boy must have thought me. And I was a brute too. And now I've gone and told the police that I thought he might have something to do with this mess. Into your private cabin with you, Polly. There's too much about here to leave you in charge. He put the parrot, squawking wildly, into its cage, ran up on deck, jumped down into his rowing boat, cast off the painter, and set off after Captain Nancy. 
rowing as hard as he could. Whatever happened, he must see that boy at once and put things right. Chapter 26 He makes peace and declares war. For some moments after Nancy had rowed away, Peggy and the swallows stared after in silence. No one knew exactly what she was going to do. Perhaps I ought not to have told her about it, John said at last. Rubbish, said Susan. She'd have been bound to hear about it sooner or later. Let's get the Amazon's tent up before she comes back. Let's, said Peggy. We've got all the things here. Nancy brought the poles. Wouldn't we to take Swallow and go and help her, said Titty. Better not, said Peggy, if she'd wanted help. She wouldn't have gone alone. She unrolled her big white bundle. It was a tent, but not made like the tents of the swallows. Where are those poles? she said. They're all in two pieces. You fit them together and get all four, all the same length. Then you push them into the hems at the corners of the tent. They're a horribly tight fit. The first two were easy enough, but after that it's awful, because... It's so difficult to keep the hem straight for the pole to go in. I dare say if your able seaman and the boy will hang on to the other end and keep it stretched out, it'll be easier. Everybody helped. The poles were put together like fishing rods and pushed into the hems. At the top of the hems there were little bags for the ends of the poles, like fingers on a glove. And the ends of the poles and their little bags stuck out above the tent about six inches or so. They're just like ears, said Roger. Donkey's ears. Then when the poles were all in, Peggy gathered up the tent in a long bundle, or rather tried to. John took hold of one end of the bundle, and she took hold of the other. This way, she said, it's lucky you didn't pitch your tents in our place, or we really would have had to fight you for it. We couldn't put it up properly without these two stumps. On the opposite side of the camp to the tents of the swallows there were two stumps of trees that had been cut down. Between them, now that they looked, the swallows saw the remains of a worn square patch. Peggy dug about with her fingers in the grass and found a hole at each corner of the square. The tent poles, fish it, the tent poles fit into these holes, she said, and these ropes go from the top of the tent to the old tree stumps and round them and we tighten them up with these bits of wood. The bits of wood had two holes in them, one at each end. The rope ran through one hole, then round the tree stump, then through the other hole, ending in a knot so that it would not pull out again. To tighten the rope, all you had to do was to pull the bit of wood up the rope, and then the other end, by pulling it sideways, stopped it from slipping when you let go. It's a lot easier with five to work at it, said Peggy, when the tent stood in its place, and the ropes from the donkey's ears at each end were properly tautened. It takes us ages by ourselves. What did you do with that bundle of iron pegs that was with the blankets? Here they are, said Tiddy. There are holes for them too, said Peggy. They have to be hammered in. Oh, bother, I forgot our mallet. 
skip from our hammock, Roger, said Mate Susan. Along the bottom of the sides and back of the tent there were loops, and for each loop there was a peg with a crook at the top to hold it. Peggy found the holes that were left from the time of their last camping, and John drove the pegs home with the hammer. There's nothing else, said Peggy, except the ground sheet, and that's at the harbour, with our sleeping bags, where I emptied them out of the Amazon. It really is something like a camp now, said Titty, looking with pride at the three tents and the campfire and the kettle, and Susan's newly cleaned frying pan and saucepan. Anybody would know it was a camp on a desert island the moment they saw the sail. Let's finish lacing the sail, said Susan, but John had hurried off to the lookout point to see if he could see anything of Captain Nancy and the Amazon. A moment later he came running back into the camp to fetch his telescope. I say, Susan, he shouted, Captain Flint's coming after her. You're as bad as Titty with her treasures, said Susan. Natives don't do things like that, but he is. Uncle Jim isn't always very like a native, said Peggy. He's worse than any native, said Titty over her shoulder as she ran up to the lookout point. The others were close behind her. Nancy had been nearly halfway back when Captain Flint and his rowing boat had shot out of Houseboat Bay in pursuit of her. She was now close to the island, and Captain Flint, though he had gained a great deal, was still some little way behind her. His was a heavy boat. Well, said John, he is coming after isn't he? Perhaps she's invited him, said Susan. And she's rowing fit to bust, said Peggy. Not she, he's giving chase. And look how he's rowing, said John. Like a steam engine, said Roger. He is fairly lifting his boat along, said Peggy, but Nancy'll beat him. She's got too much start. Go it, Nancy. Well rowed. Keep it up. Go it, Nancy. The little group at the lookout point shouted as if they were watching a race. Nancy heard them and glanced once over her shoulder. Come on, yelled Peggy. It's no good putting to sea to help her, but she'll get here first and then we can all stop him from landing. Come on, swallows and Amazons forever. Amazons forever. And death to Captain Flint, shouted Titty. They ran down to the landing place. Nancy came rowing in, very much out of breath, but still six or seven lengths ahead of Captain Flint. We're in for it now, my lads, she panted as she jumped ashore. A few moments later, Captain Flint's rowing boat grounded beside the Amazon. It was in instantly seized and pushed off again by Nancy and Peggy. Captain Flint had been laying his oars in, but feeling himself again afloat, he dipped his blades in the water again and turned to look at his enemies. His manner was not at all fierce. His face was red, but that was with the heat of rowing. His voice was mild. Almost it might have been thought that he was shy. "'May I come ashore?' he said. "'Friend or enemy?' asked Nancy breathlessly. 
Well, not an enemy, said Captain Flint. Distressed British seamen, more like. You've had the black spot, said Nancy. We've got nothing more to do with you. I've come to apologise, said Captain Flint. Not to you, Nancy. Shall we let him land, Captain John? asked Nancy. But John, at hearing Captain Flint's last words, had walked away. You have been an awful pig to him, you know, said Nancy. But we'll let you land. Captain Flint brought his boat in once more, stepped out of her, and taking no notice of anywhere else, walked after Captain John. Captain John was walking away along the path to the harbour. Captain Flint hurried after him. Young man, he said in a very friendly voice. Yes, said John. I've got something to say to you. Don't treat me in the way I treated you the other day and refused to listen to me. I was altogether in the wrong. It was beastly of me, even if I'd been in the right. I ought to have known you were telling the truth, and I ought not to have called you a liar anyway. I'm very sorry. Will you shake hands? There was a most unpleasant lump in the Captain John's throat. He found that it was almost more upsetting to have things put right than it had been when they were wrong. Then at least he could be angry, and that was a help. This was worse. He swallowed twice, and he bit the inside of his lip pretty hard. He held out his hand. Captain Flint took it, and shook it firmly. John felt suddenly better. It's all right now, he said. I really am most awfully sorry, said Captain Flint. You know, I was quite sure it had been you, because I saw your boat and you, and never saw my wretched nieces. Not that that is any excuse for the way I behaved. It's quite all right, said John. They walked back towards the others. I've paid for it in a way, says Captain Flint. Nancy tells me that you came to warn me and give me a message or something. If I'd only listened to you instead of being a cross-grained, curmudgeonly idiot, I wouldn't have lost my book. I'd have taken it with me. Nancy's told you what happened. Yes, said Captain John, but I didn't come only to warn you. I was going to tell you what the charcoal burners has asked us to tell Nancy and Peggy. Then I was going to tell you you were all wrong. You were all wrong about that paper you put in my tent. Then I was going to tell you that I'd never been near the houseboat. And then I was going to declare war. Well, <laughs> I call that really friendly, said Captain Flint. Do you hear that, Nancy? As they came back to the others who had come up to the camp. Do you hear that? He was coming to declare war on me. Of course he was, said Nancy. We all were. We have an offensive and defensive alliance against you. We were going to capture the houseboat ourselves and give you your choice. 
between walking the plank and throwing in your lot with us like last year. He was sick with you because you'd told the natives he'd been at the houseboat when he hadn't. And we were sick with you because of all this silly book writing. But it's no good now, of course. You've had the black spot and we won't have anything more to do with you. I don't know that it's too late, said Captain Fitz. There's no more of the book writing anyway. The book's gone and the typewriter with it. And I'm too old to start writing it all over again. I'm ready for a declaration of war whenever you like. I didn't want to capture the houseboat, Titty broke out. I wanted to sink her. I wish we'd sink her. We, I wish we'd sunk her at the very first. But why? Titty, said Susan warningly. Because nobody could have been such a beastly enemy as you, said Titty. We hadn't done anything to you, and you made the natives think we had. And then, when Captain John tried to help you... Yes, I know, said Captain Flint. I was a beast. But I can't do more than say I'm very sorry, and I really am. It's all right about that, Titty, said John. It's all put right. It's over. Look here, said Captain Flint. I'll do anything I can to make up. I've wasted my own summer writing a book, and I've wasted some of yours too. Dances and Peggy's, I mean. But I see their tent is here, so I suppose you're all together in things. Take back your black spot and make peace with me, and we'll have a first-class war at once. If you want to capture the houseboat, come and do your worst. I'll be ready for you. I've got nothing else to do now, and I'll make up for lost time. Shall we forgive him, said Peggy? He's quite good at being one of us if he likes. We'll forgive him, said Nancy. If it's to be war and a real battle on the houseboat, we'll forgive him because he's ashamed and because he's in trouble. He really has had his houseboat burgled. Well, we deserved it, said Titty. Yes, said Nancy. But no one ought to be allowed to burgle it except ourselves. Real battle, said Captain Flint, at three o'clock tomorrow. I must tidy up below after those scoundrels, but at three o'clock tomorrow I'll be cleared for action. Really and truly, said Peggy. Honest pirate, said Captain Flint. All right, said Nancy. Take back your black spot then, said Captain Flint. You keep it, said Nancy, to remind you never to turn native again. I will, he said. But look here, I'd like to know the names of my enemies, and why, by the way, why in your black spot did you call me Captain Flint? Because Titty, that's their able seaman, said you were a retired pirate. Why, so I am. But which is Titty? Are you Titty, he said to Susan? Of course she isn't, cried Nancy. She's the mate of the Swallow, and her name is Susan. How do you do, Mr. Mate? said Captain Flint. And this is Captain John of the Swallow. The skipper and I have met already. He, he's forgiven me, although I don't deserve it. This is Abel Seaman Titty. Abel Seaman Titty, Captain Flint. 
So it was you who knew the dark secret of my pirate past. I saw the parrot, said Titty, and this is Roger, their ship's boy. I've been a ship's boy myself, said Captain Flint. It's a hard life. And we are the Amazon pirates. I know you two ruffians well enough, said Captain Flint. Do you really mean a battle on the houseboat tomorrow, said Titty? Tomorrow as ever is, said Captain Flint. We'll take her, said the able seaman. Have you got a good plank? What for? To walk, said the able seaman. Everything shall be in order, said the retired pirate, who, of course, knew just how things should be. What about dinner, said Roger? If it's going to be war tomorrow, said Nate Susan to Captain Flint, would you like to stop and have dinner with us today? I'll put the kettle on at once. There's nothing I should like better, he said. I seem to be in the middle of an enemy camp. Bang in the middle of it, said Nancy. But it's such a good one that I'd almost like to join you all together. Too late, said Nancy. They're going in two days. So are we. You're not the least use now, except as an enemy. But uh, we don't mind letting you be that if you really want to be one of us again. Three o'clock tomorrow, and the scuppers will be red with blood, said Captain Flint. But I suppose you don't mind my stopping to dinner today. Not a bit, said Nancy. The mates invited you, and there's lots to eat. We bought a plum pudding to cut up in pieces and fry. Most luscious cook gave it us, and then afterwards we found a cold tongue. It had hardly been touched, so we brought it too. But we came away rather privately because we thought we might be stopped. So we went and forgot the grog. I'll have the kettle boiling in a minute, said Susan. You bring the plates out, Titty. Pick out some of the best potatoes, Roger, and we'll bake them. There's lots of hot ashes at the edge of the fire. Come on, Peggy, and we'll bring our stores into camp, said Captain Nancy. Can I give you a hand with that lacing, said Captain Flint, and in another moment he was sitting on the ground, stretching out the sail, while John reeved the lacing through the eyelet holes along the edge of the sail, and Susan was busy with the fire and the kettle, and Titty and the boy were bringing out plates and mugs and knives. This is a lot better than writing books, said Captain Flint presently. Now, Skipper, if you'll take two turns there and hold fast... I'll show you a good way of finishing it off. Considering that Captain Flint was having dinner with his enemies, it was a very friendly meal. Even Titty softened towards him before the end of it. He never made the mistake of calling her anything but able seaman. The tongue that the Amazons had found and brought away with them was very good. So was the seed cake of the swallows. It was no good opening pemmican tins when there was nearly the whole of a tongue to be eaten. The plum pudding, fried in slices, would have come last. Only the potatoes took a long time to get properly done, and in the end had to be used as a sort of hot dessert.
They were sitting around the fire getting the insides out of the potatoes, which were almost too hot to touch, when they began to talk about the burglary. I wonder what made the billies give you that message for me, said Captain Flint. They said they'd heard something at Bigland, said John. That's a way beyond the foot of the lake, said Captain Flint. If we could only find out where the burglar came from, there might be some chance of getting my box back. But there was nothing to show who he was or what he was. My boat looked as if half a hundred wild cats had been having a general scrimmage in the cabin, and that was all, except that they took my old cabin trunk. But everything that mattered was in it. Was it a very heavy one? said Titty. It was, rather. Were the ingots in it? Captain Flint laughed. Afraid not, he said. What there was was a typewriter, a lot of diaries and old logs, and the book I've been writing all the summer. If they'd taken anything else, I wouldn't have minded. Thoughts struggled in Titty's mind, but she looked at Captain Flint more kindly than before. Was it a book you'd been writing yourself? she asked. It was, said Captain Flint. About your pirate past? Well, that came into it. Was it a very good book? Come to think of it, said Captain Flint, perhaps it wasn't. All the same, I'd like to get it back. You've no idea what a job it is writing a book. Keeping a log is bad enough. I know, said Titty. And now I might just as well not have written it. And been much nicer all the summer, said Nancy. Don't rub it in, said Captain Flint sadly. There was a rapid secret talk between the Amazons, ending with Nancy saying, Well, tell him if you like. Look here, Uncle Jim, said Peggy. I beg your pardon, I thought my name was Captain Flint. So it is. If you're really going to be one of us again, we've got something to tell you. We know just when the burglar was burgling your boat. We saw him do it. Did you, by Jove? Did you see which way he went? At least, we saw the light in the houseboat. We thought it was yours. We couldn't tell you yesterday, you know, because you weren't one of us. And when we saw that light, we were in bed properly. Oh, were you? And where were you improperly? On the lake. So you were supposed to be in bed and were really up to high jinks on the ocean wave. It's a secret, of course, said Peggy. We were sailing down to Wildcat Island in a private war, said Nancy. If the burglar had come this way, do you think you would have heard him, said Captain Flint. We didn't. We only saw a light in the cabin and thought it was you. Then John spoke. Abel Seaman Titty thinks she did hear something that night. Where was she? In Amazon. What, with you two? No, it was afterwards. We were on Wildcat Island then. We were marooned. Who marooned you? Titty did. She went off in Amazon and left us to our cruel fate, said Peggy. That's how the Swallows won the war. But where were the others? We were up the Amazon River, or, or sailing back from it, said John. 
The lake seems to be in a lively place that night, said Captain Flint. And what did you hear, able seaman? I heard people rowing in a boat. They came close past, close past me. And where were you? I was anchored. Look here, said Captain John, you'd better have a look at our chart. It shows just where she was. He ran into his tent and came out with the new chart and pointed to the little anchor that marked the place where Titty had lain in Amazon off the north end of Cormorant Island. Captain Flint looked at it. Did they come close to you? he asked. Very close, said Titty. It's a funny course for them to steer from my houseboat if they were making for the foot of the lake. They must have nearly run into the island. They did run into it, said Titty. And then they went on. They landed on the island, said Titty, and they left their treasure there, or whatever it was they had with them. They said it was heavy. I heard them. Shiver my timbers, said Nancy. Not really, Titty, said Susan. Captain Flint jumped to his feet. Able seaman, he said. If that box is there, I'll give you anything you'd like to have. Come on, all of you, and we'll row across and look. He grabbed Titty by the hand and shook it. Titty, almost to her surprise, found herself smiling back at him. His hand was very large, and there could be no doubt about its friendliness. And after all, even if her treasure was not Spanish gold, it was a book, and a pirate book. Her only regret was that the treasure-hunting expedition was to be so large, but that couldn't be helped. Look here, said Nancy, if it is there, and you get your book back, you won't go and turn native again. Never, said Captain Flint. Come on, pile into my boat, all of you. They ran down to the landing place and crowded in, the two Amazons, the four swallows, and Captain Flint. In another moment he was rowing round the island and across to the island of the Cormac. Captain Flint rowed as if he was still racing after Nancy. Every stroke jerked the boat forward and jerked his passengers backwards. In a very few minutes he had reached Cormorant Island and found a place where he could pull his boat's nose up between two rocks. Everyone scrambled ashore. But there was nothing to be seen on the island except the bare tree and the white splashed rocks and jetsam from the last flood and big loose stones. They looked everywhere. Captain Flint climbed all round the island two or three times. He could find nothing. But I know they left it here, said Abel Seaman Titty. I heard them say they couldn't put it in, on a motor bicycle, and then they said they would come fishing and catch something worth catching. It was the middle of the night, you know, Titty, said Susan, and you may have been mistaken. They may have changed their minds, said Captain Flint, or they may have come for it already. Anyway, it's something to know which end of the lake they came from. Not that I think I shall ever get it back again, he added. They rode sadly back to Wildcat Island. The able seaman did not weep, but she was very near it. I know they left it there, she said. Never mind, said Captain Flint, we've had a good look. 
and perhaps if you had found it, you'd have turned native again after all and gone on bothering about publishers, said Nancy. Anyhow, I haven't found it, said Captain Flint, so we'll think of something else. Three o'clock tomorrow, for example. Real war, said Nancy. Blood and thunder, said Captain Flint. Three o'clock tomorrow, and I'll be cleared for action. I'll be ready to repel boarders, or sink both your ships, or hang the lot of you at the yardarm. Or be captured as a Spanish brig and sunk as a Portuguese slaver. Anything you like. He put them ashore on Wildcat Island and rode back to bring order into his wrecked cabin. Goodbye, they shouted after him in the friendliest manner. Goodbye, he shouted back. Three o'clock sharp. Then death or glory. <laughs>